Well, good morning. Um, we do have a great country, don't we? And it still is a great country. I hope that you're able to take some time with your families this week, uh, especially today, if you have young ones to, re- to remind them and to encourage them and connect with them as a, um, as a family and as, as Americans. So just great opportunity today to continue to remember. Um, we've been working on a series called The Unsettled Life, and we are working through a process of, of examining our hearts and our journey with Christ. And uh, a lot of people have talked to me, they're like, man, I feel like my whole life is unsettled, and I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm want to kind of pull back and say, hey, your life may be unsettled, it may be all settled. The only thing we're talking about here is whether your spiritual walk is settled or unsettled. And we want to encourage you to continue to follow Christ wherever he leads and not to get to a place where you've camped and you're good. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're talking about how to continue following after Christ in the midst of this culture, in the midst of our own lives, in the midst of the busyness. And so as we've dove in, we've talked about a bunch of different pieces, and a lot of you have been able to kind of connect in with your small group. You've been coming every Sunday, and we totally have been excited to see you here. And thank you so much for being here and being a part of those things. If you're interested in another way to to connect and to kind of be a part of the series, is uh, maybe Felicia, who you met last week, accosted you on the way in. Anybody get accosted by Felicia? Hey, Tad, I want to take your picture. You're like, uh, I don't really want you to take my picture. Um, if that was, but if you did, it's an opportunity, and what we're really doing is asking you guys to, hey, just be a part of the testimony of this series. What is God doing on your heart? What is he shifting you in? Where is he adjusting you and changing you? Because it's important that each of us are able to stand up and speak about that, because guess what? Uh, some of you guys, you come later in second service, we get that, you got kids and stuff, it's crazy, and you don't meet anybody from first service. Others of you, you come early for first, but you're out because you got to clear up the parking lot for third. Um, you don't meet people at third, but this an opportunity by using just a wall of saying, hey, this is who we are. This is where God's unsettled us. We're just kind of communicating to each other how to pray and how to be one church together with that. And so I want to encourage you to grab that, um, grab that big thing, stand there, get your photo taken. If you don't want your photo taken, just fill out one and just let us know, hey, how has God been working in your life to unsettle you? That's really what we want to be doing. We, we talked about possessions at our small group last week. We were discussing another form of being unsettled. We've talked about how we're unsettled with Christ, how we've become unsettled. And man, I've been doing so much, I'm just kind of lost in my own unsettledness here. But we're, uh, we're now going to talk about relationships. And that doesn't mean like, hey, go get a divorce or sell your children or something. That's not how we're unsettled settling our our relationships. But instead, it's about another way that we can get settled in our relationships. When I was in, uh, I think it was fifth or sixth grade, I had finally gathered with some of my friends and uh, we were, it was the kind of late 80s, early 90s, and we're like, we're going to do something totally different. We're going to go play baseball again. Just as kids, we grabbed some bats and some balls and some gloves and we hopped the fence at Rainy Junior High and went out by the backstop right there, back when you could get into schools. And so we're, we're... we're standing there and, um, you know, we're, we're, we're swinging, throwing the ball around, having fun, doing whatever. And it's finally my turn to bat. And of course, I'm a very competitive person. I like to be competitive about everything that I do. And so my friend Steve is the only one who actually played baseball out of the group of us. And he's got the ball and he's going to pitch. So he's throwing the ball and I'm sitting there and I'm whiffing at it. And I'm just like frustrated. Finally, I get this one good one. It's coming right at me. And with all my might as a five year, you know, fifth grader, I swing as hard as I can. I hit that thing, line drive right into my friend Steve's face. And he just falls over and we're just like, pet it. We all rush in, see how he was, he was, he was good. And it was, it was nuts, but it was just kind of like, whoa, what just happened? And, and I stood back and I started thinking about that incident. How many of us feel like we have relationships like that? 
where you offer up some tidbit of your life. You've opened the door to who you are, or maybe you've confessed something that's going on, only to have it literally line-drive back into your face. Anybody know somebody like that? Hope you're not married to that person. Uh, Obviously, we do do that. Even in married relationships, my wife may express something to me, and I'm just like, I I moralize it right back at her. And she's like, you know, just knocked over. Or I have opened my heart up about something, only to have a, I can't believe you'd even think that, slammed in your face. Maybe you've met somebody who instantaneously judges you or you get piled on by the trolls on Facebook or whatever. There's all kinds of opportunities for us to see some kind of openness thrown back into our face. When that happens, I guarantee it's easier to settle in your relationships. It is far easier to settle for the people that you know, to connect with the people who are like you, or to keep people at a distance. Because it's far easier in relationship to not allow people in and to not have to knock on doors of people's hearts and to have it slammed in your face. And maybe you've gotten to that place in your life where you've settled for just being cool with the people you're around. You don't open your heart anymore to anybody. You haven't knocked on somebody else's heart in a long time because it's just not safe. It's just not good. And yet, what I want to challenge us is to allow that kind of settled aspect of our relationship begin to be unsettled, to begin to be challenged by Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who stood up when asked by the lawyer, what's the greatest commandment? Said, you need to love God. And then he says this, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he challenges us suddenly with the, with the, with the Old Testament you know, commandment that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. In fact, later he'll, at the night before he dies, sitting with his disciples at a table, he will turn to them and he will say this. He'll say, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Wow. That's an intense statement. An intense response of of how we are to deal with one another, with love, like Christ loved us. And that's hard because what Jesus is doing here is he's he's taking a whole new definition of love. See, in our culture, love is a lot about us. I fall in love. It's what I feel. I fall out of love. It's about what can fill me. But when Jesus starts talking about what he did in dying on the cross, it's about others. It's how to love for the sake of another person through self-sacrifice. And so there's a sudden challenge that goes on. And this love expands into the very aspect of our relationships and begins to kind of unsettle it, tear it up, turn it up. That's what I want to do. And I think there's no better place to really look at this than the book of 1 John chapter 4. And so if you will, grab your Bible. We're going to open there. That's going to be our main text. We're going to look at how, we, how this love works into our lives and how it expresses itself. If you don't have a Bible, we actually offer them. They're under the seats. You can go and grab one pull it out and you'll find this page um, 1023 has 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 on it. So go ahead and grab that. Join us. 1 John's the back of the Bible. If you keep flipping back there past uh, the one the, all to all the numbered names. So as we look, John is writing this letter intentionally talking about false teachers and real believers. It's a great book to help define for us whether, how to trust a teacher or not and what they're, what they're to look like and how to trust whether you're, you're walking in the faith or not. And so that's kind of what he's delineating throughout the book in various manners. And so he comes to this section on love. He's been kind of talking about love now for him since the kind of the middle of chapter three. And he lands here to some of the application. And he starts here in verse seven. He says, beloved, let us, not, let us love one another, 
For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And here then is the very declaration that you and I are are to live in this love. And he's just worked through a whole passage on what does this love mean and where do we see it and what does it look like. And so that's what I want to do. I want to challenge us to love each other, to move past an easy love and move into what I want to say is is allowing for a grace space. You're saying, cheese meter just went off the mark, right? Grace space. Cheesy. All right, I get that. I already know that. Um, But it's the best term that I can have right now because I want to challenge us with a thought. I want to challenge us with the consideration that God's form of love, the kind of love that Jesus gives us, is supposed to create these spaces in which we are utterly gracious to one another. And in that will come out something else. And so this is where I want to start. Notice what it says in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. He is not speaking about an emotional form of love. He is being very specific. This is God's kind of love. This is the real, the real form of love. In fact, he goes on to say, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now note, this does not mean that love is God. Okay, this, is, this doesn't work both ways. It's a one-way street. It's not a two-way street. Um, and the reason why we say this is love does not just, I love, oh, that's God. No, that is not how it works. God is love. He's a special reality of love. And it, what, what basically John is saying is you can't look to humanity to find the true definition of love. You got to look to God. You see, what do we produce as human beings is not love. Most likely what we produce is hostility. You ever notice that? And we live in a pretty hostile world. Today, when I was a kid, you know, I got to go into Rainy Junior High and play baseball. Today, you don't go near a school. You got to climb fences and barbed wire, you know, all that. And I'm not just joking. But the reality is that you're not allowed on the campuses. Public campuses, you go play in the parks. But oh, the parks, they're dangerous too. We, gotta, we don't want to send kids off into the parks. And most likely, we, we've selected our homes because, hey, it's a safe area. You know, oh, gated communities are more expensive. Even better, I'm going to buy a brand new app that allows me to hook this wonderful video camera up on my front door so that when it knocks, I know exactly who's outside. And guess what? When I'm walking down the street and I don't know somebody, I'm going to kind of be guarded about that because I'm not so sure who that person is. Why are they in my community? I'm, I'm not liking this. What's interesting is there's been so much hostility that we breed it into ourselves. Hostility makes hostility and it creates suspicion and fear. And so suddenly on, we hear people and we're instantaneously offended because we believe they're being hostile. We get upset with other people because of the hostility we feel. In fact, this hostility has grown so much and it's been bred so much into us. Most of the way that we consider things is about how safe we can be when we meet somebody we don't know. We automatically assume they're going to be hostile to me. They're a stranger. I'm uncomfortable. Who is that? Very, very unique American experience. 
The response is coming quickly. In fact, it's already begun in our university systems, and it's based upon the concept tolerance. We all know tolerance. We understand that the idea of tolerance is, is really defined by live and let live. Just allow people to do whatever they want to do as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. That's the new morality of America because we've, we've been so hostile. Even any stance seems so angry, and it seems so aggressive, and so we just want to be tolerant. In fact, in universities right now, they're not creating gray space. They create safe spaces. Has anybody heard of safe spaces? Fascinating thing that's going on in our university systems. Students are protesting so they can have safe spaces in which there can be safe speech, which means they don't have to hear anything contrary to the views they already hold or anything that they assume is, making, is offending them. At a university where you're supposed to get contrary viewpoints, it's gotten so bad, they've resegregated many dorms according to race to remove hostility. The response that we have to hostility has become a radical tolerance that is in and of itself hostile. We we can't seem to figure out how to do this thing where we are all different. We have different culture. We have different skin color. We have different likes and music. We have different ways that we try to worship. There's all this stuff out there and America can't figure it out. Either we take on hostility or we take on tolerance. And Jesus says, no. The way forward is love your neighbor as yourself. And so love creates these things that I want to call a grace space. Not a safe space, a grace space. Yes, cheesy. Follow me. Grace spaces are created through something called hospitality. Hospitality is classically known as how you treat people when they come into your home. You're kind to them, you set out nice places, you, 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 you show them where the bathroom is, you allow them this space to be themselves just to be comfortable enough so that you can, you can show them a love. But the word hospitality in the Bible actually comes from a, from a Greek word that means the love of the other. It's not the fear of the other, it's the love of the other. And it's a call that all Christians are to involve themselves in. In fact, hospitality is considered one of the hallmarks of the Christian faith. That we were supposed to love those who are unlike us, the other. And so it's inter- interesting as you stand here in verse 9, it's, this is exactly what Jesus did. Look, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. Notice we need love to be shown to us. It has to be shown off. We, we don't know it inherently. It says it needs to be shown to us. This is how it was shown among us, that God sent his only son into the world. You say, so? When you understand how, Paul, or sorry, how John uses the world, you understand that the world is the hostile area against God. It's the garbage muck of sin and slime. It's where we're thieving and conniving and adultering and turning around and murdering and doing all of the garbage that humanity does and we enjoy it. That's the world. And God, who is in pristine perfection, without any sin, without any problems, without any evil, with none of the garbage of earth, takes his only son and says, go down into the muck. Why? To judge him, right? To bring fire and destruction. No. To love them. So that these people might live through him. Do you hear the inherent hospitality? That God would leave his space to cross over to the other, to the mess, to the enemy, according to Romans chapter 5, and say, I love you, come, I will give you life through me. 
I'm not just going to give you life and let you go. No, I'm inviting you to a journey with me. I want you near me. I will walk amongst you no matter where your sin is and garbage is. That's hospitality. And it was the first step that God did with us. He stepped in regardless of where we were. Hindu, Buddhist, you name it. He stepped into that world of that multicultural mess called Rome. In the crossroads of Rome, right there in Palestine, Israel, and he said, hi, I'm here to meet with humans who are messed up. And so a grace space occurs. It's a space in which we're able to connect and give out an immediate sense of grace. We don't come with hostility immediately ready to judge. Jesus left his judgment aside. There's a day in which he will judge, but as John chapter 3 tells us, he did not come to judge or condemn the world, but to save it. And so Jesus steps in with a motivation to give life. And we are called to step in with a motivation to care for one another, to get to know one another, so that when you meet somebody who is unlike us, there's an immediate, quick, boom, What's your name? Where do you live? How are you doing? There's a connection. And so this is what I call a grace space, a space in which we receive each other as we are. As God began with us, he received us where we were. And so the second thing then is it reveals the fact that grace spaces value others first. You see, it's the realization, yes, we all know everybody on the planet is sinful. We as evangelicals and conservative churches, we know that. Every human being's a mess and we're sinful. But we forget that every human being was made in the beautiful likeness, the image of God. And that the good came before the mess. And that underneath humanity is this, is, is this beauty that God is redeeming. And when you approach someone, when Jesus approached us, he didn't come just to kind of, well, I guess we're going to kick the can, scrape it up, and clean it all over. No, he came and he knew we were made in his image, and he sought to redeem that image. And when we step across, you are stepping across to an eternally valuable human being. Not to a project. Not to somebody that needs to hear our moral convictions immediately. No, we're stepping across to somebody who is an eternal being. What a powerful thought that these people are inherently valuable, beautiful. Yeah, and as messed up as we are. That's why Jesus came across also. Verse 10, he continued, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. This is an interesting statement, realizing that we weren't the ones that are like, we love you, God. No, we were giving, in essence, God the finger. We were in hostility. We didn't care about God. We pushed him off in the periphery of our mind. God was no big deal to us, or he was, we, we just didn't love him. And God's like, look, no matter what stance you were in, I came to love you. I've stepped across to value you, to give you life. I came to to give you this area. Now, we, when we cross, guys, do we come with anything? Yeah, we can come with, with the life that God has given us, but let's be honest. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think it's great to all of, everyone in this room, Christian or not, to remember that every relationship begins with the reality that we are all in God's economy, broke and beggars. Regardless of whether you're an upper class or lower class, 
regardless of where you live or what you do, we all come at the same equality. Beggars before God. And when we can come before each other on equal planes, it's, it's not about, oh my gosh, you have sin. It's about, yeah, well, duh. We're all beggars in God's economy. There is no judgment. There is identification. There is seeing, hey, wow, we're a lot alike. Now, I know this can rub a lot of us wrong. You're going, Greg, 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 come on, man. You can't just be, you're sounding like you're just being permissive. Letting people in your life. Right, that's the first step. But here's the beautiful thing. What occurs next is Jesus didn't show up and just go, I love everybody and you're all great. Feel real good about yourselves. No, that's not what it is. Look how it continues. He says, in this is love. So he's crossed and now in this is love. Not that we have loved God, there's the hostility, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. That word propitiation is a big, big fat, hairy deal. It's one of the biggest deals in all the Bible. It is literally the picture. The word propitiation means that which gets in the way. It's the picture of the bus coming and the kid not paying attention. He's walking across the street and the bus doesn't see him and you see it and you run out there. You push that kid out of the way and you get smashed by the bus. You are his propitiation. You paid for it. Jesus is our substitute. He bore humanity's sin on the cross which means that Jesus wasn't afraid of dealing with sin. No, no, no. He knew there was hostility. And if you were a Pharisee, you walked away from Jesus going, wow, that guy's really hard on sin. If you were a woman caught in adultery and you received such great grace, he says, oh, who, who's going to stone you? Nobody. He's like, you're good. Go and don't sin anymore. You don't think that stung? Jesus was not afraid to point out sin. Jesus was not afraid to deal with sin. In fact, it, it says that when he came, that he was the one who was able to give and receive hard things. What do you mean by that? Well, we'll get into how that looks biblically in a second, but how many of you guys are hockey fans? Do we have any hockey fans? I know it's football season. Any hockey fans? We have a lot of hockey fans in this church. That's crazy. Anyway, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about hockey, but hockey, I do understand one of the fundamentals. Hockey is a fast-paced game on ice, obviously, and the last thing I would ever want in a hockey game is the puck. <laughs> All right, I get that part. I got the puck. I'm dead. All right, so the reality is, no, I got to pass that thing. Passing is the essence of hockey. Good passing creates teams. Knowing where you're supposed to be in the lanes of passing and getting the shot is all due to how you pass, but if you can't pass and receive the pass, it's over. Because when you pass, you don't just like, nudge it to your buddy. That's going to get stolen. You swat that puck. It screams across the ice. And did you know if you don't receive that hard pass, it's going to bounce off your stick. It's just going to go, boing, off it goes, off into something. No. So the giving of a hard pass must be received with incredible finesse. This is the picture of a relationship amidst a grace place. When you're in the midst of a grace, the space of grace that you created, what you suddenly have is the ability to give hard things and receive hard things. To give the hard confession about what's going on in your life and see it received with gentleness and respect. To give a rebuke to your friend who has given you the opportunity and to watch them take it in and say, you're right, I do need to change, help me please. It's the opportunity to not leave someone in their sin, but to then go, you are a sinner and you need Jesus Christ. I know that's hard to hear. 
praying that they would just simply receive it. But this is, this is exactly what Jesus did everywhere that he went. It's why the apostles would say in John, the book of John, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth all by itself feels a lot like hostility, doesn't it? Anybody ever gotten a lot of truth without any grace? Oh man, it stinks. It stings. A lot of grace with no truth sounds like a wash of whatever. It's just pure like, go do whatever you want. You'll never get hurt. Yeah, right. And the danger is between grace and truth is this couple together and what we know as love. They go together. They cannot be separated. And that's that hard pass and that soft reception. The pass of truth and the reception of grace. The pass of grace and its reception is just as difficult, if not harder. Sometimes it's easier to swallow a truth than to swallow grace. Did you know that? I'm only giving you just a simple example. You're out at BJ's with your friends for lunch or strangers, as I will encourage you later. And you're sitting there with the strangers, you've had lunch, you've had a great time, great conversation, getting to know each other, it's been wonderful, and up comes the the waitress, and she drops and says, you know, pick that up when you're ready, and then she tries to induce you to have more calories than you could even count by buying a pazuki, which I always recommend. But the reality is, you're sitting there, and you've got the bill, and now you're like, who's going to go for the wallet first, right? You're all at that anxious moment. You know what I'm talking about. And suddenly somebody's reaching, you're reaching, you see them going, you're going for it. Somebody pulls out the cart to grab it. No, you're grabbing it, it's back and forth. Who's gonna pay for this? Why are we so insulted when somebody else wants to pay for our meal? We do though, don't we? It's sort of like, no, no, I got this. You don't have to pay for mine. Oh no, I got this this time. No, I'll get, no. It's like we can't handle it when somebody gives us grace. Oh no, you ain't gonna one-up me on grace. I'm gonna grace you back. We literally turn grace into hostility because well, you're not going to give me grace. What, you don't think I can, I can pay for it? I mean, there's all kinds of weird things that we will do when grace is offered because grace is not easy to receive. Let's face it. Our hearts don't want grace. We think it's weak. But it's not true. It is, the, it is how relationship grows and works to give hard things and receive hard things, to receive grace and give grace, to receive truth and give truth. This is how a true and strong relationship grows and builds. And if we don't have that area, we will not see people challenged and shaped because it is in that that Jesus came and he pointed out the sin, but he received the, he received the sin on himself. It was the propitiation. If we're not willing to swallow difficult things and forgive each other, we will not have good relationships. Amen? Well, here's, here's where it goes from here. How do we, how, how, what does this mean? Well, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That's how God has loved us with this hospitality and this willingness to take on hard things for us while loving us, giving us hard things and receiving it back and forth, then we're to do the same thing. That means it should happen not just for us, but don't settle to love just those like you. They should move on, press on to the stranger. Yes, you sometimes will receive a line drive in the face. It's not fun. But we need to be the kind of people who press on to love strangers. Especially here at Olive Branch, guys, Jesus told us, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Do you realize why we use the word stranger? Because anybody that's not you is strange. (laughs) Think about it. I'm not strange to me. My idiosyncrasies, my oddities, I completely accept. (laughs) And I'm okay with being weird. I'm okay with being me. That's, That's who I am. And I'm good with that. But don't you dare be any different than me because that's just just strange. No, no, obviously Jesus is saying as you're willing to take on your strangeness, you should love strangers in the same way. Can you love and care for people who are radically different than you? Can you appreciate that uncle whose political position is polar opposite? Can you appreciate that friend who comes to church? I mean, how would this church act if Donald Trump walked through the door? Or Hillary Clinton walked through the door. I hear God speaking right now. We should be people of ultimate hospitality. I mean, let's challenge ourselves. There are people that make us radically uncomfortable. If two open homosexual men or women came through the door holding hands walked out, gave each other a kiss in our courtyard in front of our children and their children's ministry, how would you respond? They're here seeking and listening for what God's doing. Is this the moment we say, grace, space, hey! Is there a time for that? Absolutely. Is there a time to talk through what the Bible says and how? Absolutely. I believe that we talk hard things all the time because we use the scriptures, amen? I mean, I hear, I hear you guys walking out of here going like, oh, that was a hard one, you know? And I, I don't like being the guy who's like, man, that guy's, he's mean. So that's a fun reputation for the city. But the, uh, the reality, guys, is that truth, truth will come. We preach the truth. We don't, sh- we don't back off it. We don't shy from it. But we also very clearly see that grace is supposed to be a hospitality at the beginning. Are we hospi- hospitable to everyone who comes through the door? You know, guys, I do want to say that you guys excel in it. I am so proud of this church in the hospitality department. The founder of this church, Ike Riddle, you, many of you never even knew him. The man was oozing hospitality. When, when he was here just loving people in the door. And we want to be hospitable to everybody. We want to literally, there's going to be times where you need to abandon your comfort to love another who is completely different from you. Abandon those people that are so comfortable for you to hang around every week and to go meet somebody you, you just never even knew. And we have some, some great champions of that in our church. And yeah, it's uncomfortable They're strange. So are you. And we understand that. We come in with that mentality. We come in with with this kind of understanding that, you know what? You probably want some vengeance on me. I probably want some vengeance on you. You know, let's just leave the judgment to God for now. Let's build the relationship. So that grace space is open so that one day I can pass you something hard and you can receive it. That day will come. If you relate with somebody long enough, you'll realize where your differences are. You'll realize where your thought lights are different. And then, here's the beauty. You will struggle to pass that hard thing, which is good. You need to do it, but at least then you know it's hard. 
If saying hard things is easy for you, you may just be imbibing around in the truth too much. But if you know you're in the space of love where you gotta deliver some rebuke or some truth or you gotta take a stance in some way and you're just like, I do not wanna do this. I do not want this relationship to be ruined. Now you speak from love. Not from judgment. That's where we want to get to. No matter who they are, we will speak truth. We will receive truth back and forth once that space is produced. And we must receive and give those things. And so I'd love to dive in even deeper and get through all this stuff, but I want you guys to just hear that that dance of grace and truth exists within that space of hospitality. So let's create that for everyone who comes to our church, everyone who enters into our lives, every neighbor that we run into, that area of grace because God gave it first to us. Now, we need to move on to this thought then. He didn't just leave us alone to say, oh, just go love everybody else. Ignore the crazy people in the church. That's not what he said. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Don't settle just to know Christians. Press on to love them. So what does this look like? Oh, guys, this is huge. And I, I, I could preach a whole bunch more. I'll probably add a little bit of this into next week's as we talk about unsettling the church itself. But I want you to hear this. It begins with a conversation that we should love one another with brotherly affection. That it, that it means that we need to, I, somebody told me this morning, I gave her a hug. And she's like, oh, you graduated to hugs. I'm like, yes, I did. So... Okay, hugging's not easy for me, okay? I get it. Rejoice with those who rejoice, yay. Um, but I get it, you know, the, the hugs can be uncomfortable in our culture. You know, you're like, handshake, hug. Hey, how you doing? You're good. Okay, I'm moving on. That's how guys do it, right? Ladies, ladies, you got to understand, ladies can rub, like, I hug you. Guys, we walk in, we're like, am I allowed to hug you? Is this, are you a hugging one, or are you a, like, give me a hand, don't even look at me. I don't know where to stand here. So, okay. I'm moving forward, but we need to greet each other with brotherly affection. Be glad I put this one up there because all the other ones about hospitality say, greet one another with a holy kiss. (laughs) I don't see men signing up for this one. And I think Eric is sitting in the back going, that's against the HR rules. That's just hostile work environment. No, okay, so... But the reality is that we're supposed to have a brotherly affection, loving one another, connecting with each other, caring about each other like we care about family. This is a family. Families give space to each other. And yes, we say and receive hard things from each other. And that's the point. This is the environment that we create. And it needs to be brought in with, humi- with hospitality, this openness, without grumbling. I'm not asking you to do something that's miserable. Do you realize how much treasure is sitting around you? I mean, some of the men and women in this room, you, you, you have reached the point in your life where you're disseminating wisdom because you have lived through the decisions most of us young knuckleheads are trying to make. And have we spent the time to sit and talk with you so you could pour back into us? It used to be said, if you're above 30, we don't want to hear. No, we want to hear what you have to say. It's a beautiful thing that we have around us, the stories and the wisdom and what we've learned. By not getting to know each other and giving each other hospitality, we miss out on some of the most important gifts God has given us. Let's love each other with a brotherly affection. Let's not be afraid to just hang out and get to know each other 
So we got a parking problem. We'll figure it out. Rather us get to know each other. And I'd rather us not just know one person in the church. Guys, if it's all about the person standing here and you're, not, and you're trying to get to know the person up here, we got it flipped. It's about knowing the person to your right or your left. And since I'm up here, I don't have anybody else I have to get to know. Yes. Anyway, that's not kissing. <laughs> totally joking. The reality is I want to encourage us to continue in that process. And so... It begins to work its way through. Don't settle for fake relationships then. I want to call you guys to have real relationships. Be real about it. If we don't do this, we will end up with completely fake and false relationships. You'll think that the pastor's amazing and on a pedestal. You'll assume everybody else is holier than me. No, no, no. Authenticity is the essence of where healing comes from. Now, I, that doesn't mean you walk around and go like, oh, I cuss like a sailor, you're just going to have to deal with it. No, that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying you stand up on stage and we have 10 minutes of confessional, tell everybody your darkest secrets. No, that's not what I'm saying. But you need to have somebody in your life who knows you and you're known by. You should have several Men, you should have several men. Ladies, you said several ladies that surround you, that know you and are known by you. So that when you say something hard about what's going on in your life, you confess that sin, guess what will happen? You'll have healing. See, I, look what James says. Confess your sins one to another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. If you want to still be in misery and not have your sins removed from you, if you want to still walk in the muck and mire of addiction, be all by yourself. Let nobody know. It is through the confessing to one another and us praying for each other that we find healing. But if we can't be real and we can't talk about who we really are, what's really going on in our small groups or wherever we are, it is not going to bring about healing. We will be a bunch of fakes. Pharisees and fakes are welcome in the church, but they all have to repent eventually. We have to be honest with each other. We have to. It's how it works. And so we have that command to confess to one another. Another way that unsettles us is, is to not settle. We've settled for fear, but don't settle for fear. Exhort each other in that grace place. Open those up and, and press each other forward. Hebrews puts it simply like this. Hey, you know, consider how to stir one, one another up for love and good works. That's what I'm trying to do today. I want to stir you up. I want to get you a little like uncomfortable and kind of messed up inside about stirring you to love and caring about each other. I hope that's what happens in your small groups. I hope that's what happens when you're talking to your friends on the phone. When somebody's like, hey man, how's it going at work? I want you to use that for this reason. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I need to do that. That's not easy. Sometimes it's scary to challenge somebody, to push somebody. Sometimes we feel silly being somebody's cheerleader, but that's good to stir each other each other up and press each other forward. It's beautiful. It's right. The next one is don't settle for a settled brotherhood. What do I mean that? Uh, we're, we're good. Yeah, we're brothers. No, teach each other and push each other. Don't, don't just let each other stay where you're at. If we just stay in grace and don't challenge each other, we're not going to grow. I want to accept you where you are, but as my brother or sister in Christ, eventually I want to give you a little kick sometimes. Now, I get to do that as a pastor, but you get to do that to each other. 
Scripturally speaking, it tells you, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You guys get to teach and admonish each other. You guys get to go to each other's lives and and pour into each other. But do you do it without wisdom? No. So if you've got something to say to somebody, make sure you've really studied the word on it and you know what the word says and you come in with grace and love. Because too often, many of us just like to point out problems but with no solutions. We like to talk about the problems in people but not point them to the grace and transformations that could be there. So, So come with wisdom. Teach and admonish when the word of God is richly in you. And I challenge you to go back to the former weeks where we talk about being stirred up in knowing God and the word. Now, lastly is, is simply this. Don't, don't settle just simply for words. Don't just say, I love you. Oh, I love you. I don't like you, but I love you. Imagine if God said that about us. Ouch. I love that guy. I don't like him. Don't settle for words. Use actions. Care. God gave you a gift, it says. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Use your giftedness, but that means that we receive that grace, that service from somebody. We don't abuse it and we don't take it ungratefully. That reception, again, is part of there. We give and we receive. And that reception is to be thankful. People are serving you all over the place right now because they're watching your kids. They're getting coffee ready. They're doing all this stuff. Thank them. Receive their service. Don't take it for granted. Also, the challenge in John was, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother's need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The answer is simply this, guys. If you see somebody in need, we're called to serve each other. That means financially caring for each other. That's why we get, do benevolence here at the church. That's why we, we give and we have counseling and things that are for free. Your, your tithes and your offerings go to those things. But also your small groups, there's opportunities where you can help out just by giving money or items or whatever. It's a wonderful thing to care for each other. But again, it's so hard to receive grace, trust me. It's hard to take it back. It's hard to bring it in. But our God has done something incredible. He stepped over to give us grace. He created this space in which you were able to encounter him and not his judgment. And in that, he has been working with us, delivering to us hard things, receiving from us hard things because he wants us to grow and develop and love. And he says, go and love others in the same way. Olive Branch, I hope that we get to love others as Christ has loved us. Amen? Not easy, but I hope you start this morning. Maybe just one, somebody here, a waitress, wherever you are, may you allow God's love to be manifested in your life. Would you, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, um, to contemplate what it means to love as you have loved us. There's so much there and God, there's so many ways that we may actually um, not do this, but help us to uh, get it right and help us to experiment and and be so ready to forgive when we mess up and get the lion drive in the face. But wow, thank you for the opportunity that we have to have these spaces of grace formed. Help us to do that and help us to give and receive that you would be glorified and your name would be known. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.